Well, I think I've detected all the non-conformatives and they're listening to this podcast, Happy Times and Places, in which I, Toby Haydock, get a special guest to choose a Doctor Who story and nominate their favourite things about it. I have to guess what those things are. My name is David Quantic. I'm a comedy writer, mostly. I write other things and I do broadcasting. The story I am nominating is Genesis of the Daleks. Uh, Welcome to episode two of Genesis of the Daleks uh, for the Happy Times and Places podcast. Uh, We've started very well. Well, I mean, all is good with the world, uh, especially as now I've turned my microphone the correct correct way around which it wasn't for episode one so uh, apologies to listeners uh, especially if you're listening to the omnibus and you suddenly detect a shift in quality like you're watching a an edited early doctor who bbc vhs um uh, well it's uh, you know who's all genesises have their stumbling blocks um and mine was um not checking a basic thing however I suspect there will be no such rookie errors from the team behind one of the greatest Doctor Who stories ever made, which has been chosen by a fantastic scriptwriter, David Quantic, uh, who's uh, got something he's going to be plugging, um, which is uh, uh, how he came into the orbit of this and very gamely uh, uh, offered to uh, give us his thoughts and choose his favourite things from Genesis of the Daleks, even though he and I have never met, but I'm a great fan of his work, and I'm sure you will be too. Um, interestingly, uh, on Twitter, as I speak, D- David has also just done a thing where he's tweeted reviews of Genesis songs. So he's done Genesis of the Daleks and your actual band, uh, Genesis. So he's, he's, uh, he's been quite genocidal. Um, so, um, uh, let's see, uh, uh, what he's in the movie. Now, what, a cl- somebody knew what they were doing now would have then, uh, uh, invoked the title of a Genesis song to do the introduction uh, or, or the way of starting the episode, but I I can't think of the way. I was going to say let's see what's coming in the air tonight, but that's Phil Collins who is in Genesis. It's not an actual Genesis song because my knowledge of music is terrible. So there we are. That, that's what you could have won had you had a different host. Uh, I'm just going to say let's start um, episode two of Genesis of the Daleks. Uh, I'm watching on the DVD. So here we are. And I have a cup of tea. I have my favourite Doctor Who title sequence and music combo, with the possible exception of the very first. But I do think this is gorgeous. Um, every element of the design is is rather wonderful. And, it, and it, it just transports me through time without anything literal. Um, you know, it's the, it's the time tunnel. Uh, so no reprise or reprise. Um, we had that great episode ending, and uh, uh, and we uh, unusually uh, carry straight on. Interesting. Gar- Garmin becomes quite an important character, but he's uh, it's there's a lot of waiting in the wings for actor Dennis Chinnery, who has tussled with the Daleks before. He's part of the ill-judged comedy sequence uh, on the Mary Celeste in The Chase. Uh, and this is his first uh, return uh, to Doctor Who. He comes back for, for uh, to play uh, Professor Sylvester in, uh, 
in the twin dilemma so he has an interesting experience of doctor who um uh, uh, there's the mutos there i like the way they do i don't like the way they do they do the thing that the vampires do in uh, curse of fenric where instead of actually touching the person you're attacking you sort of wait for them to sink to the floor and then sort of cow sort of uh, 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 close in over them (laughs) it's a it's a it's a sort of very phony tv thing uh to do there um uh it's actually better there than it is in 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 fenric um and and his and yes his tane played by drew wood who again is a absolutely minor character but because he's on the cast list on the cassette and because at least some of what he does in in this this episode is uh, is is in the uh, truncated cassette version he he seems to be a sort of much more important character uh, when when you're when you're uh, it, when i was introduced to this story than he actually is in the you know he does this and we don't see him again i love the way tom baker does what no tea um rob shearman in our book running through corridors described it as with quiet danger and i and i i think that's such a great description of what tom baker brings quiet danger he horses around but he has an absolutely searing authority he is not to be messed with and i would say that you know some you know tom baker is in equal measures Uh, he you know what he does so brilliantly is the dazzling teeth and the unpredictable smile and the sort of the quizzical joy in the world but he also has an absolute undertone of threat and menace uh and i think without that he wouldn't be the doctor that he is you know I i don't think i mean you know hartnell was tetchy uh Troughton could be sort of dark, um, but I and, and Pertwee could be sort of stroppy, but I don't think any of them are quite as sort of fierce and fight. You know, I know Pertwee could do Aikido on you, but 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 you get the impression Baker could thump you, uh, which which again is much more sort of visceral and immediate, especially if you're a you're a kid. You know, it's it's much more. Well, I'll use Philip Pinchcliffe's word, muscular. Uh, and it, and that very much appeals to me, even though, you know, Doctor, there's an argument that it's not right for Doctor Who, that Doctor Who exists much better as a fantasy. But as an aspirational child, and I, when I say aspirational, I mean I, I wanted my thing to be taken terribly seriously. Uh, I wanted to be grown up. Um, you spend so much time as a kid wanting to be grown up, not realising that, uh, actually b- being a kid is 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 even though it's fraught with fear and danger and uncertainty um you don't realize it but you're you're safe um if you're well if you're lucky certainly for you know in the western world in the 21st century um i don't know not everybody there is either but but all right but i you know i was i was safe i, I wasn't terribly happy but i was safe i was looked after um uh and the, and the things that that worry you and fear you as and, and terrify you as a kid, of course, a lot of them when you grow up, you, you realise you need to be scared of at all. I, 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 he's not going to last long. Uh, Jeremy Chandler here is Geralt, and I and I, I remember one of my, my my brother's friends picking up my Walkman. I got a Walkman, 
And the only cassette I had was this. So I listened to it over and over again. And he picked it up and listened to it. And he was listening to it. And he, and he quite enjoyed it. And he said, oh, they've, they've said that Sarah is a norm. And he, and he, he enjoyed listening to that. Like, she is a norm. All norms are our enemies. You know, that's very, very quotable. And it's a, it's a, it's a good bit. Uh, and again, you know, he seems like quite a prominent uh, character. And he's, he's what? He's, a, he's, a, you know, he's in Doctor Who for all of two minutes. Um, Pat Gorman, however, looking great in his uh, in his muffler or whatever that, that hat is, and in his woolly hat uh, and and military gear, uh, giving a very good performance for somebody that, that very often you know didn't speak, but they knew they could trust Pat Gorman with lines. He is in more episodes of Doctor Who than almost anybody, uh, often uncredited often in the background or behind a mask. But here he is. They've given him some decent lines. And the, the whole thing about, you know, kill it off, that's another, you know, that's an, another entry into our quest to make this story sort of grim and uncompromising. You know, they don't look at Sarah and go, oh, here's a lady we could take advantage of or or who is imperiled or who we can get to do skivvying. This is, you know, this is either labour material or something to be wasted. Oh, it's, this is harsh. Um James Garbutt as Ronson, uh, who is a key figure in Doctor Who's history because, uh, spoiler alert, he's the first person to get exterminated by a Dalek. But also he, he becomes the Doctor's ally uh, and is a good character. And James Garbutt only died within about the last 12 months at the age of 94, I think. Uh, I'm, TV viewers would be more used to seeing him not speaking in RP, but speaking in a Geordie accent. Um, but uh, television wasn't ready for a Geordie Thal, so he has to do uh, the RP uh, business. It's uh, it's interesting, isn't it, how, how regional accents would, would be seen as sort of breaking the fourth wall in a bit because, because there's only one proper way to speak and they've certainly got that cracked in space. Um, but it's a good performance and it's amazing though isn't it because he, he i mean i remember thinking he was an old man there because he's got white hair um and yet uh you know he was still still going uh, up until relatively recently god bless him uh never had the pleasure myself uh, uh he'd, he'd retired by the time i was in a position to find anybody um but he's interviewed on the dvd but he did i think they only use one line of his but he was there um uh, but so why was I talking? I was talking about the fantastical, wasn't I? Yeah, I wanted, I wanted Doctor to be grown up. I was desperate to be grown up when I was a kid. If only I'd realised I should have stayed, or enjoyed, or appreciated being a kid more. But it's, I found childhood quite scary. I I see kids in the park now, and I sort of weep at how I do. Literally, I sound like Tom Baker. I weep, but I do. I find it very emotional looking at. Uh, kids and how close you are to a, a really terrifying situation or vulnerability i find that vulnerability because i yeah anyway um but yes i did um and doctor who was my comfort but i i think I, when doctor was strong and bold like this it made me feel that i could cope with strong bold things so perhaps it, it made me feel more muscular than perhaps i i was because i think my emotions were always very close to the surface i was always quite close to tears um, for a variety of reasons and yet I was never you know I was never coward at Doctor Who I didn't watch from behind the sofa I was thrilled by Doctor Who it emboldened me it empowered me um, and, and because I knew things about it it made me feel 
um, armed. You know, I, I was armed with knowledge. I, I, I knew more about Doctor Who than anybody in the room. Nobody else in the room wanted to particularly know much about Doctor Who, but it was it made me feel strong and and as though I I could offer something, I guess, as well as it you know it pushed all of my buttons and and these stories pushed my buttons particularly because because they had a yeah they had a strength and a darkness that perhaps I felt I couldn't muster myself, but because I had a because I had a you know a, a link with it, it, it I felt maybe I I. Some of that reflected onto me. I don't know, cod psychology, but um, it is an important part of our childhood. It's a very clever little uh, trick there with the gun. Um, uh, it's a shame that the Dalek isn't more primitive. You know, it's it is it's primitive, but undeniably a Dalek. But it's the it's pretty much the finished design. Um, you know, you 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 wonder if they could have been bolder with that. But of course, you you need it to be a recognisable Dalek. Uh, I mean. Now you could set this story over, you know, a period of months or whatever, and you could maybe even start off with one of Ray Cusick's earlier designs or something and, and see the Daleks sort of go through uh, uh, their evolution. <laughs> uh, and I remember thinking when I listened to the cassette that this must have been one of the uh, the, the cliffhangers because it, it has the feel of a cliffhanger. The music goes and it builds up and... Uh, 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 and, and you know, there's enough of a there's enough of a gap that uh, before Ronson says no, that that could have been that could have been the uh, that could have been the cliffhanger. So I remember being quite surprised when it it wasn't, and that 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 Davros one was. Look at that mask. That is a work of greatness. Michael Wisher's performance, where he is a plausible human being and yet he goes a bit dalek -y sometimes it it makes sense of the way that the daleks speak it's not silly robotic acting because it's coming from a logical functional person albeit what somebody that has been through something and we don't know what and i love the fact that they, they don't tell us what i love the fact that we don't know um I love the fact that he hasn't got eyes and it's not that he just can't be bothered to open them. Okay. Um, I mean, <laughs> a good job we weren't recording <laughs> recording my house when he opened his eyes uh, uh, more recently. Um, I, you know, I love the fact that his, his eyes have been sort of blown out and, you know, the, the lids have shriveled shut around the, the sockets of where he doesn't have eyes. Um but, but you know, the half-man, half-Dalek idea. It's weird to think, you know, and I think the new series has been very good in that um, they established the Daleks first without Davros and then, you know, timed it quite brilliantly to bring Davros Black back, played by so superbly by Julian Bleach. Um, uh, but, but because, of course, from here on, whereas, of course, when I, as I said, when I was introduced to Doctor Who, Davros was in one story. He was in that one story. He was a one-off character and he was dead. Uh, I didn't realise then that he was actually going to be in every single Dalek story from, from then on. And in a way, it did take away from the power of the Daleks, if you like. Um, and I think it was wise to re-establish them in the new series without him. I think he's great, but I think he that the Daleks benefit from him being used sparingly. I mean, it's arguable that actually 
the you know the the Daleks, the subsequent Dalek stories might have been better without him, um, and to let him stand on his own. Well, he hasn't got two feet, but you know what I mean. Um, and and also, but then we would have been denied. I think Terry Terry Malloy's performance in uh, Revelation, in particular, is superb. Um, and I, I think that's a great story. But I'm I'm now just talking objectively uh, about you know the the Daleks themselves. There's another Galaxy Four Thal gun, uh, Thal slash Dravin gun. I've actually held a replica of one of those. They're pretty hefty. Uh, and they're functional. They operate. The lights light up. They're they're wonderful things. Um, oh, she's so good. Um, and here we are. So here, now this is interesting. Just look at the things like the little light. The lights there. They're very they're very reminiscent of World War Two. And the, just the, the 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 grating and everything. It's it's quite it's all quite realistic apart from that. Uh, shot of the rocket um, <laughs> and oh that lettering um safe and toxic level okay but but the entrance was uh, was quite really safe. but this this is one because obviously this is a set that you see on video here in the studio uh and and they do their best but the silver stuff looks like it's either been painted silver or it's silver foil and it has a slightly sort of shiny and phony look about it and then you see it on film and just the quality of film um and this and this and the slight muddiness of it well no because it's clear film is clear film is not is not fuzzy but what it did the muted nature of the colors it makes exactly the same set look magnificent and amazing and it makes you sort of go oh i wish they could have made doctor who on film all of the time but actually there's also a more more of an immediacy about say a duologue or a performance like this that that i think i i think gets closer to you on videotape than it would on film but maybe that's just because i'm i'm used to it like that um but i know all film doctor who you feel you do feel slightly one step removed in a way that you you don't from these these sorts of interactions but i i like the the the, the, the fact that you know they throw the doctor in and i think when ronson comes in and he says i'm doesn't he i'm sorry if they hurt you the idea is that the doctor's been roughed up a little bit again it's not just he's been questioned uh this is a place where questioning brings with it you know violence and stuff that needs to be apologized for and and you know tom baker weathers it weathers it well he doesn't he doesn't shrug it off but he doesn't make a meal of it uh, uh this is this you know this is a guy yeah he's like it's all right yeah i've i've been through the mill i'm not going to cry about it he's tough as old boots um but yeah it's aware of its own mythology is it you you stop me from becoming the very first victim of a dalek um and, and and that is quite momentous to be back at the beginning as david says you know i hadn't really thought about it like that it is sort of a, it is event television in that in that you know we're, we're we're into the first season of the fourth doctor and uh, we're going okay we're gonna we are gonna it, it, we are going to investigate the past we are going to put flesh on the bones of the the the, the history it's it's not just you know they're not just here to tell a self-contained story which is kind of you know uh and, and Doctor Who has to be very careful about that because it has to be done in such a way that it doesn't alienate the casual viewer. Um, uh, and I think, and I think we all know that Doctor Who can sometimes um, 
you know, drive itself mad trying to tell backstories and rationalise things. But but this isn't an exercise in continuity. This isn't trying to be clever and go, oh, I'm going to tie up all the threads. This is just going, this would be a really interesting place to set a story and a really interesting moral dilemma for the Doctor. It's, yeah, it's not an exercise in sort of um, historical tricksiness and th thread tying. Um, uh and 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 you know it and it, it has great fun playing with the 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 idea of what actually the Daleks represent, which is a, a quest for, you know, perfection, and and isn't that ironic because they're a green blob in a metal casing, but Davros's idea of what perfection is is, uh, you know, efficiency and, uh, uh, single-mindedness and, you know, but not beauty or poetry or soul and it's uh it's it's and that's that's great that's you know that's just a, a green light a sound effect and two really good actors going yep that's horrible <laughs> uh, oh and Stephen Yardley is seven why why must we kill what is not in our image Stephen Yardley is one of the great uh, tv actors of the 70s um, uh, you know, one of those people that popped up in everything. You'd see him in an episode of Bergerac. You'd, he's even in an episode of uh, Day of the Triffids, isn't he? A one episode. Then he's in Secret Army. Of course, he's in Secret Army that I mentioned in episode one. Uh, and then the same team uh, make him uh, the horrendous Ken Masters in Howard's Way, which seemed to me a reward uh, for all his years of supporting, playing, uh, you know, you know, a part he could, a part that got him, you know, loads of recognition, and uh, 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 and he could really get his teeth into. He's also, of course, in Doctor Who in Vengeance on Varos, um, and then I think stopped. He must have stopped because uh, he was, you know, he was certainly still working. Uh, did he do Family Affairs? I think he did, um, but. Uh, we, I don't think we ever managed to get him on the DVDs. He's married to Jan Harvey from Howard's Way, but uh, and I know Doctor Who magazine did an interview with him, quite a short one. But uh, I think he's perhaps not in not inclined. And why should he? But it's a shame because he's got a, an illustrious TV history that I would love to interrogate him about, and I would be much gentler than the Doctor's interrogators were in this. Um, but he's a, a great figure of 1970s an 80s telly, Stephen Yardley, uh, and he benefits everything that he is in. Um, and it's interesting because there's no sort of big names in this, but it's full of, certainly at the time, but it's full of, you know, faces that that you would recognise, but not necessarily anybody who's sort of played a massive lead in anything. And, and interesting that for such an iconic character as, as Davros, you know, they, they get a, a sort of jobbing... In fact, an actor that's just been in Doctor Who, because Revenge of the Cybermen has just been made, and right, quite near the bottom of the credits, playing Coughing Factotum, so I think he added the coughing himself, Margaret, uh, who basically gets to follow uh, David Collings around being mousy uh, uh, in Revenge of the Cybermen, is, is Michael Wisher, who then comes back a week later as the, as the lead guest character so he had so he had you know three months solid work on doctor who part of the team part of the furniture being magnificent uh and i think it's his finest hour and i don't think he ever had a part to quite match it uh and he is and he is just extraordinary 
Um, oh, they're going to do the breakout now. And again, this funny enough, this is a bit that on the cassette doesn't sound... That's a good punch as well. Uh, and, oh, top marks to Richard Reeves for he punches the guy, uh, but then remains in the action position. Uh, and then I even like the way he left. He's uh, I like Richard Reeves as the Khalid leader, although I, I wish they'd given him a name. Um, and he's not really the leader, is he? He's just a, a sort of soldier. Um, uh, but, and, and uh, Ronson does not replace that grill properly. Um, but look at this on film now. It looks, it, it just looks better. The scaffolding, the orange paint, the silver paint, uh, the edges, it all just looks like, you know, just an extra few quid. Um, Oh, is this... Oh, are we about to see an Ice Warrior? Uh, yes. Is this where we see the Ice Warrior's body? Which has been co-opted to make... Yay! That's a bit of Ice Warrior, that. Um, <laughs> uh, I remember finding that out on a Sevens model kit, I'm sure, in the in the, uh, in the in the literature of that, it said. Uh, of, a, of an Ice Warrior, I think it said. And, you know, as well as being in these stories, the, you know, the body of an Ice Warrior is also seen in Genesis of the Daleks. So I knew to then look out for it. Otherwise, I... I mean, I probably would have spotted it eventually on viewing number 75, but uh, I was primed by sevens. Uh, well, it's, you know, you'd scour everything, even the, yeah, the, the, the backstory on a, a model that a friend of mine was making. I didn't have the model, I swear it was a friend's. Um, but this, this, is, this is well done. And again, this is the sort of stuff I would go into watching this story go, well, this is just, you know, because I know they don't get out. So it's just a sort of, it's just a bit. It's not really part of the story. But actually... Uh, that's a shame that 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 model is so, you know, is shot on a different medium than than everything else. Um, but look, that the, again, the lighting is great. That the fact that these guys help her, the fact that Elizabeth Sladen is so good at being terrified without being sort of weak. Uh, it, it doesn't make you. It doesn't make you want to, you know, uh, you know tell her to get a grip you know it's it's genuine fear that you feel that you would probably fear rather than sort of you know tv hysterics uh and this sequence is great it's really well shot it's really well cut and this is monstrous i love the way because he this guy who's been quite horrid in episode one but he's now their ally and he's and he's young and he helps her and then he gets shot having helped her and then he lands i think that's extraordinary yeah that's just uh, again such a brilliant idea you go we're used to seeing people falling off things we're not used to sit then and you know how it's done he falls and then we do a different setup and he drops just a short space and of course in real life he might have he might have splattered a bit more but i know i think that's absolutely terrifically done and it's just another little little moment of beastliness that just gives this story that edge that it has and then uh is that the first freeze frame? Because the uh, yeah, because I think I'd seen Deadly Assassin, and that freeze frame, which is so good at the end of episode one of that, that I'd uh, or anyway, I hadn't I hadn't taken into account, and of course I'd seen this edited together as well, hadn't taken into account that Sarah might might get a freeze frame as she drops, and it's it's a it's a little thing that uh, David Maloney does that just makes your heart stop just a little bit it's just again another little thing slow motion is is not rocket science it it elevates those first scenes in episode one a freeze frame is it, it, it actually in certain circumstances can look a bit pony um and and not be helpful not here it really helps to sell 
that cliffhanger and makes it something different and makes companion in peril in bit of story that's not important to the plot just a little bit of action uh you know to 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 uh lengthen the story out a little bit actually makes it very very special and that's what a great director does is he goes well i've got a scene here that actually doesn't need to be here so let's give it a reason for being here because it's going to grip and excite everybody and there's nothing functional about it at all sometimes action sequences or little bits of little moments you know you they're, they're there just to sort of eke out the running time and and no there's nobody's watching the clock there everybody's uh, uh everybody's working to make it you know really dramatic and full of jeopardy so episode two well so much in that um but i think i have to go for because it's the the proper debut the synthesis of mask actor conception and the fact that it is more than a sum of its parts and the fact that this is the first time and that i don't think i don't think anything beats this first time because of the familiarity not not to do with anything to do with the players or or even the scripts or the plots or anything of the subsequent stories but because as as far as this is concerned this is the only doctor who story with davros in it uh and he just towers over this story and works from the get-go uh it has to be and that mask is so good jod friedlander another of the unsung heroes of doctor who um it's got to be davros it's got to be davros what's david quantic chosen probably not now, now that i know how his mind is working he's probably going to choose the lollipop he was eating <laughs> when he watched this episode two i am choosing for my thing per episode in episode two harry sullivan oh. harry sullivan is one of the underrated assistants or companions or boyfriends or whatever they're supposed to be called. I really like Harry Sullivan. He was kind of a slightly odd. He had his blazer on because he was in the Navy and he said old thing a lot. And he was kind of warm and comfortable, but you've got the feeling he could be an action hero. And he didn't last very long, which is a massive shame. He joins that short list of Doctor Who companions who only did one series. They're not called Seasons. There are four seasons in a year. They are spring, summer, autumn, and the other one. Harry Sullivan was a great companion, a great assistant. Um, the, the shows that he w was in were definitely improved by his appearance. And he's a kind of reality touchstone in this show. He's the companion who's always surprised by things, who basically thinks that we should hit them. His morality is very straightforward, and it's something I'll be returning to in a moment. I love Sarah Jane Smith, one of the great characters, but Harry Sullivan is a fantastic second lead companion. Ah, oh, I like that, and I love Ian Martyr, um, and and he's very good in this. I think it's his, I, I think it's his best performance because because Harry is sort of quite chipper and quite sort of arch, old-fashioned old thing, you know, arch officer kind of stuff, and and lovably so. Um, uh, and you know that that sort of charming activity does thing in, in robot when he's the man from the ministry and stuff but he he really pitches his performance absolutely at the at the right level uh, in genesis and i think he's excellent and i think that sort of very underplayed dramatic 
back and forth he has with the doctor where they they banter but they never send it up i think i think that's a good ch- i'm glad because i love harry and i love ian martyr i feel god i've outlived ian martyr gosh um i i i i'm glad that uh, harry has his moment in the sun here in happy times and places uh, and and put so eloquently and in such a celebratory fashion there by david i chose another uh, uh, icon of doctor who uh, davros but uh, i've you know david has has gone on the side of the angels and that is uh, that is perfectly understandable um uh, so i so far have scored no points so david's 2-0 to david um but there's a long way to go and look if he looks like he's going to defeat me i'll just travel back in time and kill him before he can choose anything um okay well i'm going to go to bed now but that doesn't affect uh you or when you will hear the next episode which will be uh out as scheduled um so i look forward to watching the rest of genesis of the daleks some other time thanks for joining me with it apologies if you uh if uh, if you wanted me to be picking some flaws in it because i know that's always fun but there's there's not much about genesis uh, that I struggle with, although I, uh, I do see clams will be on the menu very shortly. So uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps we will see some chinks in its armour. But uh, at the moment, um, apart from the fact that uh, I'm, I'm not choosing any of the things that David has chosen, I'm in a very, very happy time and place, and I hope you are too. And until the, we're in another one, goodbye. <laughs> And, yeah, it says here, shamelessly plug anything you have coming up or your online presence. Well, I'm on Twitter, and on Twitter I'll be talking about my forthcoming quiz book, Quantic's Quite Difficult Quiz Book, which contains, I hope, many, many Doctor Who-related rounds, including Doctor Who villain or musical instrument. I'm sure you can guess the crossover there. Thank you, Toby. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydoke. My special guest is David Quantic. The book he just mentioned is released at about the same time as this podcast. I've timed the podcast to go out for maximum plugage, so do avail yourself of it and follow him on Twitter at Quantic. I'm grateful to patrons of this podcast, and they include Jeremiah O'Connor, Mark Trevor Owen, Russell Parker, Phil Pascoe, Richard Patey, Ken Patterson, Thomas Payne, John Pettigrew, Liam Price, Quarridors, Rachel T.S., Peter Reed, Paula Reynolds, Alex Rowan, Darren Rule, Gavin Rymill, Tom Selinsky, Samuel, I have no surname for Samuel, Edward Salt, John Sheehan, Paul Shields, Trevor Smith, Richard Smith, David Spencer, David Spofforth, Adam Stone, Paul Taylor Greaves, Jason Thompson, Sidney Troat. The music is by Dave Gates and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. If you too would like to be a patron, you could go to patreon.com forward slash Toby Patrons get advance releases. Uh, they're about, uh, well, certainly three or four months in advance of Happy Times and Places, and they get the Too Much Informations and the Indefinable Magics um, about six weeks to a couple of months in advance of The Great Unwashed. That's you if you're listening to this and you're not a patron. There's nothing wrong with being unwashed, actually. I think uh, uh, the natural thing uh, can be uh, can be pretty liberating. Uh, what am I talking about? I shower every day. Um, I'm just trying to be nice uh, to those 
who don't. What am I even? Why am I even bringing up the spectre of your personal hygiene? Uh, there is no correlation between patronage of Toby Haydock's time travels and good or bad personal hygiene. I'm just talking rubbish because I don't actually believe anybody listens to these bits. Anyway, I think I was trying to entice you to being a patron by suggesting that you don't wash if you're not, which isn't, I don't think is a great sales technique. Anyway, for as little as £3 a month, um, uh, you can you can become a patron and you can also, if you sign up for a year in one go, get 10% off that. And there are advanced releases. Oh, yes, that's what I was saying. Um, you, you're, you're a few months in advance. And there's a podcast called Far Too Much Information, uh, which is ultra geeky and a very, very deep dive. But it's got some good stuff in it. I'm very proud of some of the things I found out for that. Uh, that is only available to patrons because I've got to lure you somehow in this world where everything is free. Um, and I'll tell you what, um, I know that a monthly commitment is a lot to ask uh, in these current times. But uh, if you're passing me and you think I look hungry or I've or I've just bunged you something that you've particularly enjoyed, you can go to ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock and buy me a metaphorical coffee. I don't actually drink coffee. Uh, I will spend it on all the soap that I use to wash myself. Uh, <laughs> oh, dear. Well, at least I'm entertaining myself now, because, um, as I say, this I'm the only person that knows this particular screed of nonsense exists. Um, because I'm sure everybody else is now listening to Radio Free Scarrow or Revisionist History with Malcolm Gladwell or Something Rhymes with Purple uh, with Susie Dent and Giles Brandreth or some other of my favourite podcasts uh, there. Um, yeah, follow me on Twitter at Toby Haydock. Follow these on Twitter at Haydock Podcasts. And I would say, and, and then I'll shut up, but, but I won't. But I'm going to shut up now because I can see the music's about to hit. I played that in live. Um, I could have timed it just a little bit better. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, I say I played that in live. It was just lurking at the bottom of the uh, the sound file because I'm I'm using a template from. You don't need to know the science. I'm not going to baffle you uh, with the uh, extremely uh, uh, high end techniques that I. <laughs> I don't. Really, I'm I'm on GarageBand and I press a red button um so listen what's this bit for um oh come and see my comedy night excess malarkey every tuesday in manchester at 8 p.m uh www.excessmalarkey.com i don't even know if it's com or co.uk i think it's dot com i'm really bad at this um it's on twitch.tv forward slash excess malarkey on the first sunday of every month that's a different show that's our internet show we started doing those during lockdown and they were successful enough to warrant us doing them uh, at least once a month because obviously the the normal weekly show that uh, those online shows replaced is now happening again live in a building but yes you can find us online twitch.tv forward slash excess malarkey and those shows stay up for 14 days Oh, bonus fact that I didn't get time to put in. Drew Wood, who plays Tane in that, I don't think he's ever done a Doctor Who convention, but he was friends with Ian Cullen, who plays Ixter in the Aztecs. And uh, Ian said uh, on Twitter once, oh, does anybody know of any Doctor Who conventions going on that Drew Wood could do? Uh, and I knew that Drew had not done uh, any appearances. And I think it was the time that uh, the season 18, uh, the season 12 Blu-ray came out. So, uh, so, I, put, uh, so I mentioned uh, it to... Phantom Films and Drew did a signing, uh, but that actually came via 
Ixta um, from the Aztecs. So there's a tiny little weird Doctor convention. I never quite uh, got the, the gen on how Ixta and Tane know each other, presumably just uh, old acting chums. But uh, I've never had the pleasure, actually, with, uh, with Drew, and sadly Ian is now no longer with us. But um, Tane and Ixta in, a, in an alternative universe propped up a bar somewhere together uh, and probably talked about anything but Doctor Who. Uh, until they were sidled up by somebody going, I think you're fine, you're Tane and you are Ixter. At which point they probably down their pints and ran a mile. But I'll do it again.